Welcome to Oslo International Church's podcast, where we share weekly reflections from our community of faith. If you'd like to explore more of our resources or join us for a service, visit our website at oslointernational.church. And now, here's the message from our last Sunday service with Pastor Mike on Stornagel. What does, what does doubt look like? What does doubt smell like? What is the texture of doubt? What does it sound like? And I know that these are really weird questions to ask. But here's the thing. I like doubt. I like doubt. What I mean is, I think doubt is important. I think doubt has a fundamental place in life, and I think it has very much so a fundamental part in the life of faith. And I, I definitely have issues with theologies and with practices of faith that either dismiss doubt or demonize doubt or paint it as a sin or ostracize or condemn people who are brave and honest enough to express doubt. I take issue with that. And I make no secret of this. If, if you've been to OIC for a while, uh, you probably know this, you've heard this. I have, in fact, shared here before about the importance of doubt in our faith and also about, about what, what one might call the positive perceptions of doubt in our Christian scriptures. My problem this week, though, is that James doesn't like doubt. <laughs> Or at least that's what it looks like at first glance. And it got me in a knot. It got me scratching my head and churning in my heart and in my stomach. We started last Sunday on a new series of preachings. We often do this in OIC. We have thematic series that go through through a semester or through a couple of months. And... uh, Lately, we've been following the liturgical calendar of the church a bit more closely, just paying a bit more attention to it. Uh, And we have these seasons uh, in what we call the liturgical calendar that rotate every year. And and for ages, churches have been doing this. You have Advent preparing for Christmas, then you have Christmas, then what you have, what you call season of Epiphany, Lent, Easter. You maybe have heard some of these, right? So we go through these. And... And we started a new series of preachings just last Sunday, and it will follow us all the way to Advent and the end of this season of the liturgical calendar that we are in now, which is called the season of Trinity, or sometimes it's also called the ordinary season. And accordingly, our our series is called Ordinary Faith. And... In this series, we will spend time with two pieces of literature from our Christian Bibles. Uh, The book of Ruth, which is in the Hebrew Bible, uh, all the way in the beginning of our Bibles, and the letter of James. And if you want to hear more about why these two, what's why Ruth and James, that seems like an odd combination, uh, then, and how they fit into this ordinary season, then you can actually check it out on, on our podcast. We started publishing it again, and you can hear what we talked about last Sunday. I don't want to go in, into all of that again, but a shout out that every week we publish uh, the, a, a podcast with the, the preaching from last Sunday, 
And uh, if you can tune in, if you can share, and if you can also give us feedback of how that is working out, because we're evaluating it right now and thinking about it. We hadn't been publishing for a while, but with this series, we're back at it. So if you want to know a bit more about why, how these things hang together, you can go and hear that. But this week, I found myself preparing to go into the letter of James. But I didn't even make it past, <laughs> past verse 8 before I got up in knots. Now, James is, James is, is a quite unique letter and, and particularly difficult to work with for a number of reasons. There's, you know, the normal stuff that you get when you go into, into studying the Bible a bit closer, which is dating and eldership. Where, where is this from? And the letter of James is a bit more complex because it's not that clear who he's writing to and where from and where is this from? Who is this James? James is actually a weird, even, it makes it even harder because we get this name James in English, which is a, a, a weird translation because the name is actually Jacob, Jacob. And there's a number of Jacob in the New Testament. Which one of them is this one? Is it one of the disciples? Is it the brother of, of Je- the half brother of Jesus, who was a leader in the early church in Jerusalem? Most likely, it's him. But there's these discussions, right? And then there's also the fact, and I mentioned this last Sunday, that that the letter of James is a bit weird in the New Testament, and that it has very few direct references to Christ. It only mentions Jesus directly like that and Jesus' death and resurrection, I think, three times in the whole letter, which is unusual. <laughs> and there's all this discussion about that because there's none of that direct as you would have in Paul, for instance, all the time. But the letter is saturated with what you could call Christian lingo, or if you want to be fancy, the argot. So the, the, the specific way of speaking and his expressions and the way they are used is very similar and common to what you see in other uh, writings of the, New, of the New Testament, right? And then James also has all these influences from Hellenistic philosophy and moral teachings, and, but it's being written by a Jewish teacher from Jerusalem, and you have all this reference to, reference to Jewish wisdom literature, literature and the Torah. So it's a lot of things. And then there's also the fact that James' structure is all over the place. When you go into uh, one of the letters of Paul, you kind of see a line. You see where he's going with things. And James just gets us confused. He seems like he's just popping here and there. And then there's also the fact that James will unapologetically challenge the reader to his face. (laughs) And while most of us will not get tied up in knots over issues of you know, authorship or rhetoric tropes or whatever, we will most likely not get past the first chapter without this sense of challenge and of struggling to figure out where James is going. Because, again, he seems to be all over the place, and especially so in the first chapter. And as I mentioned before, right, the structure of a letter of James is particularly challenging, so there's plenty of scholarly disagreement over it, but a fair number of the people who have gone deep into the book of James, and I agree with them, they consider the first chapter of James as a sort of introduction or an overture for the rest of the letter. So an overture in in music, if you have an opera or if you have a soundtrack of a movie, 
Uh, it's that piece that comes in the beginning that touches on the themes that will be explored throughout the bigger piece. And this is what chapter one of James does. He sort of touches, just touches on all these things that he's gonna explore further in the letter. So he's like popping all over and you get this impression. So I, I wanna read James' overture with you. So I wanna read with you uh, James chapter one from verse one to 27. And this is what it says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials, consider it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance complete its work so that you may be complete and whole lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord." Let the brother or sister of humble means boast in having a high position and the rich in having been humbled because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flowers fall and its, beautiful, its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither, wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desired, desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when desire has conceived, it engenders sin and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fathers of light with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave birth to us by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creature. You must understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves." For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not brittle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
the care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You see what I mean when I, when I say that James seems to be all over the place? This, this is, in any case, very different from Paul's letters, for instance, right? Or the Gospels that have a narrative structure, and one thing sort of leads to another. If you're familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, you might get similar vibes to Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or the so-called uh, wisdom literature. But then this is a letter addressed to churches, so it's not quite the same. And it can be hard to get a sense of what James is talking about. And anyway... As I told you, I got stuck on that little section of verses 5 to 8. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter being double-minded and unstable in every way must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I didn't only get stuck, I'll be honest, I got annoyed. (laughs) Because it seemed to me that what James is saying here doesn't line up. It doesn't line up with neither the experience of Christians throughout history, nor with the witness of scriptures itself. Plenty of people have asked fervently for wisdom from God, when facing the challenges of life and felt and feel like their prayers go unanswered? Is James implying that we should assume that they are all lacking in faith? That's a very dangerous road to go down. And also, the one guy in scriptures where we get a very clear narrative of asked God for wisdom and got it is Solomon And Solomon didn't exactly turn out well. Solomon messes up in all sorts of ways, and he's anything but a good example of how to live a life according to the grace and goodness of God. So what is James saying here? I wasn't, I was annoyed, but I wasn't ready to let this go. Because I didn't think that James could really be that naive and simplistic. And besides, I didn't want to avoid James' challenge. He speaks in a very challenging way. And I didn't want to avoid James' challenge just because it made me uncomfortable. So I did what we do, right? I fought and I wrestled with the text and with the context trying to figure it out trying to understand what James meant by doubt and what he might be pointing at when he speaks of wisdom. And I'm glad I didn't let go because it would have been easier to dismiss James' supposed superficial argument of you just need to ask for wisdom and if you don't get it, it is your fault because you're a faithless dummy. That would be easy to just dismiss. It's a lot harder to dismiss what I believe James is actually getting at. And as I spent time with James' overture, I began to see a structure. And this is what my notes started looking like. The reason I wanted to show you this is because I find a visual image helpful. And you see that the colors are repeating there. There's this green in the beginning that you show up again, and then there's yellow, and there's a blue in the middle, right? 
That's why I wanted to show you this. It helps us see that James' arguments are interconnected and that they are part of a bigger, more complex picture. James' point about wisdom and doubt in verses 5 to 8 is thematically connected to his point in verse 22 about being not just hearers but doers of the word. And also with his metaphor of the mirror that he goes through, verse 5, this person that looks themselves in the mirror and then forgets. And those two, these two parts, they make sense because they gravitate around a central issue, which is the stuff uh, in blue in the middle in verses 12 to 18. And then in between in that yellow stuff, that's the arena where they interconnect and play out. I'm going to explain, explain this. So you, you can put that out now so we don't get distracted by all the... But here's the thing. When James speak of doubt, it's helpful for us to pay special attention to how he qualifies doubt as being double-minded. This is also why I wanted to read from the NRSV translation because I find its rendering of verse 4 particularly helpful when he says, let endurance complete its work so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. Complete and whole. What James is doing here is he is contrasting an image of wholeness, of being integrated and he's contrasting that with an Im- which he relates to wisdom, and he's contrasting that with an image of being fractured, turned apart, divided, which he relates to double-mindedness. In verses 23 to 25, this contrast comes up in a metaphor of someone that looks themselves in a mirror, and as soon as they turn away, they forget what they look like. Now, why does this looking in the mirror and forgetting oneself speak of wholeness or double-mindedness? Because it speaks of the central issue of identity, which is what James is addressing in verses 12 to 18. In verses 12 to 18, he speaks of two forms of birth, which bring forth two ways of living. One is the birth of death. And it is brought forth by giving in to desire, the process of sin. And here it's important to understand that at the center of James' understanding of desire is not the issue of wanting something, but of taking something. Of taking something for oneself at the expense of the other. And that something can be very concrete Resources, money, wealth, food, blanket in a cold day. And it can be forgiveness. It can be grace. It can be... And that's desire. And this is one, right? This understanding. And throughout the letter, James is speaking strongly against greed, against favoritism, against hurtful speech. This is the stuff that he is addressing in those yellow parts, right? Which is the arena of life. With the questions of how we deal with, with, with uh, wealth, how we deal with anger, 
how we deal with community, how we deal with each other, how we tackle temptations and trials, how we, we react to reality when reality doesn't go our way, and how do we try to get out of it. And then in contrast to that, there is the generosity of God who births life and can birth us into life through us partaking in this fullness of his generosity and grace. So for James, this this double-mindedness is expressed in being merely hearers and not doers because it has to do with receiving this image of God, this identity, but living out completely differently. Maybe we could say it this way. Doubt, in that sense, in the letter of James, has a physical form. It's not seen in a brain scan, and it's not seen through a doctrinal examination. It is seen in the web of relationships. It is seen in community. It is seen in life lived out in the world, especially when things get tough. The point of asking God to give wisdom is not that because God gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, then God will grant wisdom, but that God's wisdom that we ask for, it is intrinsically webbed into his generosity. And that is what is being asked for, this wisdom of self-giving. This self-giving that is most wonderfully expressed in the giving of God's self in Christ. And James keeps on talking throughout his letter on this, the world, and the world here is the world opposed to God. And the world opposed to God that James described in, describes in his letter is the world of envy and the world of greed, the world of desire that takes. In contrast, the world of faith, the life of faith, is the one that believes that because God's generosity is infinite, then resources can be divided freely. So James put this contract between a world that opposes to God and because it opposes God, it fights for resources as if they were limited and therefore should be taken to oneself in which grace is limited and therefore should be controlled for oneself, in which forgiveness is limited and in which wealth is limited. And I think it is important that we just, I feel like I need to do a a parenthesis here and just step back for a minute because considering what we know about our world today, right? And what we know about how we have explored our planet, I feel like we need to be a bit careful whenever we talk about resources as being infinite, right? Considering what we know about climate and resources, but there's still a compelling challenge here because the logic of endless resources in James is the logic of generosity versus greed. 
It is the idea that there is plenty if it is shared. As soon as there isn't shared, there is no longer enough. And it is the logic of it not being enough because we refuse to share that destroys the world. Sounds familiar? And for James, this is physical and this is spiritual and this is relational. And in that sense, James echoes here an understanding that John also expresses in his letter. Just need a... Uh, also expresses in, in one of his letters, and in the first letter of John, which comes right after in our, in our New Testaments. In the first letter of John, this is also a fairly known text from John, uh, from verses 11 to 24. John says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother were, were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has life, eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Jesus himself also expresses this in the Gospel of Matthew. In uh, chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about prayer, and, and Jesus says, This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's a, ch a, a common challenge in all these texts. And it is a challenge to understand and believe that the gifts of God are living realities for us to live into. They're not something we receive and hoard. They are not something we receive and control. They are not something we take ownership at in spite of the other. They are living realities to be lived into. Love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, generosity, and creation itself. And the logic is we cannot ask them upon ourselves and deny them upon others. Because doing that is denying the very thing we request, and that is what James calls double-mindedness. And these texts call us, they bring us God calling us to wholeness in Christ. 
which is to be integrated and not divided. Because the challenge that James is seeing is that people in the very community of faith are talking about their identity as if it was the identity of Christ, and they're looking into the mirror and saying, this is me, and then they turn their backs and it's gone. And they're living the logic of greed, of taking, of self-centeredness. And the trials and expression of faith, they're about the wholeness in the actual world. And that's the hard thing with James. He's, he's so down to earth. He's so about how we live. So in that sense, what does doubt look like? You know? What does doubt sound like? Well, it sounds like the grumbling of hungry stomachs. It sounds like the cry of lonely people, right? What does doubt sound like? What does doubt smell like? It smells like rotting bodies of war. It smells like when we despise. <laughs> what does it feel like? It feels like that knot in the stomach of not being forgiven or of struggling to forgive. It's real, right? It's expressed. And wisdom sounds like stepping into these lived realities of God's perfect gifts. Love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, generosity. I'm believing that they are for us and enough for us, and because they are enough for us, they are enough for all around us. And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's, it's wonderful to look at the gift being given to us. It's hard to live in it, but that's the calling, isn't it? Forgive as you were forgiven. Forgive us, God, as we forgive those who sin against us. They will know that we belong to Christ because of how we love each other and how we love each other is expressed in how we live towards each other, towards those in our family of faith and those around us. How we act with grace and generosity rather than greed. And isn't it when things get tough that that is harder? So James talks about trials. He talks about temptations also because that's the reality of the people he's writing to. Christians in the first century were mostly poor and oppressed. It's hard to be kind to your enemy when you're being oppressed, isn't it? But then that's talking about them, right? And James wants us to also think about us. And that's the other thing with James to the tribes in the diaspora. It's, it's a wide public. He's speaking to all of those who have called themselves Christians, followers of Christ. And saying, look at your identity in Christ and live by it. Live by it. 
and that will shape your understanding. The fact that doubt and wisdom for, John, for, for James are, are so concrete doesn't mean that James is anti-intellectual in any way. He's quite sophisticated, but he won't let us get away with it by simply what we say we believe. He wants us to be whole, integrated within ourselves, within ourselves as a community of faith, and with Christ. And as I said, that's a lot harder to dismiss. That's a lot harder to dismiss. Because that's real. That's the broken relationships that we know in our bodies and in our families and in our friendships. That's the the inequality that we know in our streets and in our world. That's how we handle with the actual money in our bank accounts and the actual clothes in our bodies. That's how faith can change or break the world. But then suddenly, what annoyed me so much about James gives me hope. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, Ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you in the days of joy and in the days of trouble and sorrow and pain that he may bring you of his peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve each other, serve the world, serve the Lord joyfully. Amen. Do you want to stay connected with us? Check out our website at oslointernational.church to discover more about our community, access additional resources, and join us in our faith journey. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.